0: Look at the word on our screen. Vacation. Does everybody know what a vacation is? It's that time of year. Did y'all know that? Are y'all okay? It's that time of year. I mean, in two and a half weeks, it'll be June 21st. Can anybody tell me what June 21st is? It's what? June 21st, when summer really begins, did y'all know that? We got VBS tomorrow. Got things planned for the summer. It's going to be a big summer. You know, vacation. We we recognize the term. It's literally when things are suspended. Our our business, our duty, our responsibility. It's uh, um. It's when we kind of get away, and hopefully it's replaced with rest, relaxation, and recreation. And I say relaxation with a quotation I'm out, mark around it, because for many of you here that I've come to know in these three years I've been here, you go on vacation and you come back and go to work to get over your vacation. Could I get an amen? Yes, sir. Truth is, is that when I think about vacation, it's kind of funny sometimes, because depending on where you are and who you are, some people vacation with family. I mean we got some folks left today or left yesterday that are on vacation with family. Some people vacation to family. Now we've been that way, Deborah and I, uh because we've been away and lived so many places, we would go to our family and that would be our vacation. But there is an element there are some people who takes vacation from family. Now, I'm shocked. As I was praying through this and thought about making that statement, I thought, people at New Hope will not understand that because everybody does everything with family here at New Hope. But everybody said, shook their head and goes, yeah, I'm on vacation. And you know why somebody had vacation from family? It's one word. Relationships. Nobody... Nobody wants to go on vacation with somebody that causes them stress. Today, I've entitled this message, A Vacation from God. Why in the world would somebody want to take a vacation from God? It's the same reason. Relationship. Nobody wants to carry anybody on their vacation that causes them stress, even God. Today, um, today we're going to find our text, we're going to find our message in Judges chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there, Judges chapter 2. Now I want to be clear. My prayer is that there's not one person in this room who desires to, longs to, or even considers taking a vacation from God. Because it's deadly, because it's dangerous, because it'll give you a life that you don't want, don't need. And you might even be wondering, how in the world... Did Brother Jerry ever come up with the idea of a vacation from God? Well, honestly, it's because many years ago I was reading this chapter, and I was putting the entirety of the, of the Hebrew and their exile to Egypt, and then they're coming to the Promised Land, and I just watched these people. It seems to me. If they want to take a vacation to God. They, they may have, have thought they needed a vacation from God. I watched that and, and it dawned on me because so many people get to summertime and they feel like God knows this is my time and I can do what I want. So I can take my money and I can go on vacation. I can do other things. I can ignore worship. I can can just take a vacation from God. And I want to say it again. A vacation from God will have a devastating impact on you and the generations to come. So this morning we're going to look at chapter 2 of Judges and read it. And then talk about this thing of a vacation from God in light of what the Hebrews have done. So if you found... Judges chapter 2. Let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word. If you can, we're going to read a whole chapter, so if you cannot stand, it'll be okay. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You are to tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore I now say, I will not drive out these people from before you. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites... The people wept loudly. So they named that place Bochim, which means weeping or crying, and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Previously, when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people worshipped the Lord, throughout Joshua's lifetime, and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance, in the Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. That whole generation was gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshiped the Baals, and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they had abandoned him and worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed him over to the marauders who raided him. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. But they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their fathers, who had walked in obedience to the Lord's command. They did not do as their fathers did. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemy, while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, following other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. The Lord's Anger burned against Israel, and he declared, Because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their fathers and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I did this to test Israel, to see whether or not they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their fathers had. The Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your Word convicts us. It speaks to us because we can see ourselves and this nation in parallel with the Hebrews whom you chose. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll remove me out of the equation. I pray that you'll open our ears, eyes, heart, and soul and pour into us your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Every time I read this chapter... Every time I read about the Hebrew children, I am amazed more and more at the patience of God. I mean, have you ever thought about it? You read it from from the Exodus all the way here. I mean, he rescued them from the mighty hand of Pharaoh. He brought them out through the Red Sea. He took them to Kadesh Barnea gave them a chance to, in just a few weeks, take the land. And they chose not to. He was with them in the 40 years in the desert. And now, after the wilderness wandering, Moses is off the scene. And now, here in Judges, they have literally crossed the River Jordan and are on the land of promise. And in all of that, all the people have ever given him was Lip. Now, that's not a Bible word. That's a 10-mile creek word. They were knuckleheaded. They were hard-headed. They were always complaining about wanting to go back in the wilderness. And now here on this side of the the Jordan, in fact, if you want to look it up, don't do it right now. But you look back in chapter 1, in verses 21, 27, 29, 31, they still were not obedient. They were still doing it their own way. I'm just going to tell you, folks. Had I been God, this story would have ended differently. Had I been God, when I got to doing all this stuff for them, and they got to complaining, and they had their eyes back on Egypt and saying, I mean, we can just go back there. I would have probably said, okay, I'm God. You got it. I can arrange that. But God didn't. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And he will not abandon his own. But what he will do, what he will do, he will allow them and us to digress. I didn't say progress. I said digress. Go down, back, until we get to the bottom, and until we have to make the right decision. And that's what I see here. Today, um, you can go ahead and... In your bulletin you have this little deal here. All I want to do is fill in the blanks because I want you to see how with every step that they took, it's a step that we can take and it's not a step up. It's a step down. So how does the vacation from God begin? For them, for us, it begins with disobedience. It begins with disobedience. God's message to the Hebrews... God's message to you, God's message to us, is simply this. Are you listening? This is the price of admission right here. Obey me and I'll bless you. Obey me and and we don't like obey. Obey. We don't even like the word. Obey. We don't like the word. But I want you to think about those Hebrews. God had provided so much for them. Leadership over a long period of time. Moses and Joshua, he'd given them victory over their enemies any time they trusted him and stood to fight. He blessed them now with a great land, with a great people. And along the way, he gave them all kind of things that would help them. How about those ten rules that he gave on top of Mount Sinai? Go back and read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the writings of Of Moses. You know what you'll discover? That he gives us all the rules. You know the social rules that we have trouble with today in America? If we just go back and read Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, we can get it right if we do it his way. Because you see, he has has given all the good things. But the greatest command. The greatest rule of all. Are y'all ready? In fact... I'm going to preach at First Columbia in the fall at the associational meeting. Unless God changes my mind, this is going to be it. Here's the best rule of all, the greatest rule of all. You ready what it is? It's first commandment. No other gods besides me. No other god beside me. If you get that in order, everything kind of falls into place. And yet we live in a country today, as these guys obviously had, we can go back and read again, that they abandoned God, that they worshipped other gods. In this country today, that is the most broken of all commands, the first command, no other God. Ed Litton defines a God or an idol this way, it is a good thing that you have made the ultimate thing, so it's a bad thing. Things that are really good for us, We make it into the ultimate thing. It controls us. So it becomes a bad thing. John Calvin says that the human heart is an idol factory. Taking a vacation from God begins with disobedience to God. Taking a vacation from God means that you have... Replaced him with some other God in your life. You want to know what God is? You've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again because my mommy taught me repetition is the mother of learning. You know how to know what God is God in your life? It's what controls your time and what controls your money. Because what controls your time and your money controls your heart. It's a revelation. You see, they didn't want Jehovah God controlling them. And so they just kind of took a vacation from God. They they just kind of walked away. And it always begins with disobedience. Brothers and sisters, you've heard Jesus preach to you that Jesus saves your life. We've read that John, John 3 passage. But you must be born again. Later in that passage, this word, God, Jesus Himself says, God loved the world so much that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so we come to the altar, we come to our knees, we bow our heart, and we give our life to Him. And then a couple of weeks later, we go, whoa, I want some of that back. I want to control my life. I don't want Jesus to control my life. Or somebody pushes you to the level of becoming a disciple. We don't, and that's what happens. When we put something else in place of our Lord God, and too often it's us. You see, disobedience—if you see that on the top of the run, it's kind of, it's kind of on the top of the run. We know that Mike has the water park over uh, Collins. Did I get that right, Collins? Here's what I'm going to tell you about those. Big, giant slaloms. If you tip over the top, you don't have to worry about getting to the bottom. Are y'all with what I'm saying? Brock, y'all went snow skiing. When you turn those skis down the hill, you don't even have to worry about your poles except to stay standing. Because gravity gets you. That's exactly what happens when you take a vacation from God. When you be, when you begin with disobedience, the rest of them is just like a Grease banner. They started with being disobedient from God. That's the first step. And it promotes and it promotes desertion from God. When you get dis when you have become disobedient. You will walk away. Let me see if I can get back over to my Bible here. You look down in verses 7 to 12. The people worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. (laughs) But then another generation who didn't know God. That's down in verse 10. Did not know the works of God. And so they did evil. You see, they abandoned the Lord. If you read on down in verse 12, it talks about them abandoning the Lord God Oh they fathers. They followed other gods. They bowed down to other gods. But Jerry, I don't bow down to anybody. Sure you do. Sure you do. You bow down to somebody. You bow down to something. It's the nature of... It's human nature that we bow down to something. Something as our God. These guys... Deserted God and they did what was evil in his sight. They did what was evil in his sight because I just read it. Verse 10 says, another generation arose that didn't know God. Now we're back to what we talked about last week. Somebody didn't transfer their faith. Somebody didn't teach the younger generation about Jehovah God, mighty God. Saving God. Caring God. Folks, just as surely as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, the lack of the fear of the Lord creates a vacuum. And when it creates this vacuum, then people turn to what their human nature tells them. And they become disobedient. And they desert holy God. Week after this. We have VBS this week. Have we said that yet? We have VBS this week. And then next week is Southern Baptist Convention meets in New Orleans. When I think about desertion, I think about the Southern Baptist Convention. Do you realize we used to be 16 million and now we're 13 and a half million? We used to be 16 million and the FBI... Could take five years to investigate us and not find twenty-five uh, percent of us. Now we're only thirteen and a half million, and it's the same thing's true. The deal is, is that in a in a land where the population's exploding, belief in in God through Christ Jesus is dwindling, and it's back. to This thing. Of us transferring our faith. Who have you transferred your faith to? You know if you're in the military. And you're given an assignment. And you don't do it. They'll get you for insubordination. If you walk away from it. They'll get you for desertion. Disobedience. Promotes desertion. And desertion. Promotes disaster. You can see it as it goes here. Desertion promotes disaster. Now, the disaster comes... Now, I I may be speaking to somebody. I may speak to you directly. I might not even know that you're here. This speaks to those people who says, God is love, God is love, God is love. So I can do whatever I want, and He's got to accept it. Well, God is a God of love. If He didn't love us, He'd have never sent Jesus. If God, God is a God of love, He would have never made a way for us to be saved, to be regenerated in our heart, to find our sins forgiven and our lives changed. If He wasn't love, He'd have walked away. In fact, if He wasn't love, He'd have probably done to the Hebrews what I said I'd have done to them. But God is love. But what you do speaks to your love for Him. What they did spoke to their love for Him. In verses like uh, uh, 12 through about 15, you'll see that it speaks that they angered God. That they angered God. And And that last word that's used there is so strong, it's like He burned with anger. Hebrew word means He was hot. Strong emotion, strong passion. How angry was God with them over their disobedience and desertion? He handed them over to their enemies. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God has enemies even in America today. And as I watch the news... I believe we're on the cusp of being handed over to enemies of the kingdom. But folks, I want, you to, I want you to see this, the disaster. We think of the disaster when somebody slaps us down. Certainly that's true. But I've said this to you before, so let me just reiterate it. God certainly has the capacity to punish sin and sinful people and those who desert, desert him and abandon him. He has to take his hand and he's destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 6, he destroyed the world with the flood. He has that capacity. But watch this. Sometimes it's not about him putting his hand on you in, uh, in retribution that causes you problems. It may be that he takes his hand of blessing and protection off of you. You desert him? You know, he says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You abandon him. He may take his hand off of you. You look at verse, I'm trying to move forward. You look at verse 16 and 17. The Lord then, hey, you ready for this? Here's where they are. They were disobedient. They deserted. Now disaster has come. God has taken his hand of protection and blessing off of them. And so God throws them a bone. <laughs> Isn't that just like God throwing you a bone to get you back on board? And so verse 16, He raised up judges. He gave them some folks in their life to help them. But you know what had happened by then? The disaster had moved to disregard. Now they were just simply ignoring him. They were just disregarding him. He was trying to draw them back to himself. He gave them judges, and while they had judges, they may have listened some, but the word says they didn't. And then, when the judges died, they prostituted themselves. You offended at that word? That means you belong to one person and you give yourself to somebody else. That means you belong to God and you give yourself to one of the idols this world has to offer. They continue to seek out. They continue to worship other gods. They disregarded the God of their youth. They didn't do like their ancestors had done and and hold fast to Him. Listen, they may acquiesce to God. God's judge when he was there, but as soon the scripture told us, did you get that? As soon as the judge died, they went back to doing their own stuff. They were on a downward spiral. And it's like being on that, that giant water slide. Once you get over the cusp, it's hard to stop. Nothing stops you but hitting bottom. Disregard produces destruction. Destruction. Verses twenty and twenty-one speak to this. The Lord's anger is still burning, and He declared, "Because this nation has violated My covenant that I made with My fathers and disobeyed Me, (laughs) I'll no longer drive out their enemies; they on their own. A vacation from God. Are you listening?" A vacation from God is very costly. When God takes His hand of protection off, the enemy has a clear path to his people. He says, man, I'll no longer take care of you. You're on your own. Folks, when we abandon God, we start with disobedience and and then we continue. Down that road, God no longer runs interference for us. We choose to make our own rules, doing our own thing in our own way. Years ago, Deborah and I were serving a church, and I'm being as transparent as I can. I I don't remember which one it was. We had a man that didn't miss services, except when he went on vacation. Brent, he would sit at home in his easy chair. Somebody to drive by and see him pull in and go, rob me to church. Nope, I'm on vacation. But some of you, some of us, we can't say anything about it because we've gone on vacation to garden spots in, in view of a place of worship and refuse to get up out of our chair and go and worship with God's people when it's God's time. You see... That has a devastating effect on your heart and your soul and your life. Everyone needs a vacation from the pressures of life. But nobody, why would anybody, really need a vacation from God? I mean, He came. everything he came to do was to make us better. Make us better. There's so much more here. and We could be here for a long time. But if you can see how this has carried them down, they're just about to bottom out. Have you ever been to the bottom? I've been to the bottom. And here, you know what I found out at the bottom? When you're the Lord's, when you belong to the Lord. At the bottom is solid ground. Because at the bottom, you have to make a decision. That destruction prompts a decision. These guys, if you look at that, look at verse uh, um, 22. I did this, God said. I did this to test you guys. I wanted to see what you were made of, I wanted to see what decision you made, I wanted to see where you would go. God took His hand off of them. He forced them into a decision faced with their difficulties, their disappointments, and the defeats they found in this world. Where would they turn? Where would you turn? Well, now the world is, is falling apart. Where would you turn? I'm just going to tell you, during the time of the judges in the Bible, they never turned right because in verse chapter 17 and chapter 21 the last verse of chapter 21 the last verse of judges says and in those days there was no king in all of Israel. I mean so there's no god in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own mind. I don't know about you, but that sounds like America today. To me, Everybody just trying to do what's right. Their country was in a mess. And our country's in a mess. And the only answer is, is Jesus. I found this. And I'm going to read it to you. It's an engraving from the cathedral at Lubeck, Germany. It says, Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me Master and obey me not. You call me light. And see me not. You call me the way. And walk me not. You call me life. And live me not. You call me wise. And follow me not. You call me fair. And love me not. You call me rich. And ask me not. You call me eternal And seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. These past two weeks, many of you know this, have been emotionally and physically draining for me. And I'm sure for Deborah too. Week before last, we traveled four hours to Montevala, Alabama, to bury a 30-plus year friend. Tell you how long we've been friends. Worship ministers in the Panhandle of Florida sang together in the Panhandlers. Came back this came back last Sunday, and then we left again and went back to Montevala Actually, we went to Birmingham and Montevala because our son-in-law had a foot removed. On Wednesday, I thank publicly Sherman and Mark for taking care of the Wednesday night services. It's not as easy to travel today as it used to be. And the emotion takes the toll on you. We got back Thursday night this week, early evening, 6.30 or so. And um, when I got up Friday morning to go to breakfast, my phone popped up. Goss Baptist Church was in revival Friday, Saturday, today. Why that was really important to me is because, men, you'll remember in January we had Dan Lanier here to speak for a men's conference. And Dan was preaching, and I had marked it, and I told Brother Brian, I said, I'll be there one night. Well, you don't know this, but I really protect Saturday nights. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't do much on Saturday nights. If I do, I'll get home as quick as I can because I'm going to be as fresh as I can on Sunday. So I went Friday night. <clears throat> I honestly, if you, if you meet Dan Lanier and tell him I didn't want to come, I'm going to beat you up, okay? I really didn't want to come. I, I just, I was tired. I wanted to lay down. When Dan closed, and I've heard Dan preach many times over the years, a godly, great preacher, he told a story that I think speaks to what happens to us when we take a vacation from God story goes like this. When he was a young man, he and Janet were doing a revival in the church. That's back when he was a, a young evangelist. He said, and I preached my heart out. And when we got the invitation, it was like there was a barrier there. Nobody was going to move. I was assured of it. I mean, it was like it was in bondage. He said, I went home in distressed. I wondered, Lord, was I not supposed to come? Did I not preach the right message? Came back that night. Same thing. Monday night. Same thing. <clears throat> Tuesday night came. And Dan said, you know, I don't beat people up with the bondage that was there, I just figured we'd sing a verse of the invitation and go home. And he said about halfway through that first verse that there was a man sitting back here about halfway. And said he all of a sudden broke into tears. And then it became uncontrollable. And then he came down, took the pastor by the hand, and they knelt and began to talk and pray. He said, when that man broke and moved, you could tell that it impacted the congregation. He said, We sang another verse. He said, and an older man right back over here began to weep and cry. He made his way down and knelt on the other side of the pastor, and the pastor. Spoke with him a little bit. And they got together and they embraced and wept. Now here's the story. They were brothers. The first guy was the younger brother. The other guy was the chairman of deacons and the older brother. Some 10, 12 years prior, parents had died And they had land to sell. Had something to sell. I think it was land. And in the business of it, one of them felt the other one did injustice. And they had not spoken in all that time. When they got right about it, Dan said, already you could tell that the barrier was broken. And here's what I'm going to tell you. These guys had taken a vacation for what they knew was right in their faith and from God. And they harbored ill will. And I'm going to tell you about ill will and unforgiveness. It will stop a church dead in its tracks. Because when you, go, when you harbor that, what happens It's kind of like, men, you know when you go and clean clean off a field or or a flower bed that's been there for a while? You clean it off, and if you don't do anything else to it, pretty soon those weeds are going to come back up. You know why? It's because the root is still there. If If we're going to not take a vacation with God, if we're going to get right with God, we have to dig out the root. The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. I just wonder if there's anybody under the sound of my voice. You didn't do this on purpose. You didn't mark it on your calendar and go, I'm going to take a vacation from God here. But if you look in your life, you know that you're one of the ones that have kind of pushed God away. And you've taken your life into your hands. Here's what I'm going to tell you. He's just like The father and the prodigal son, he is looking down the road, waiting to see you take a step. And he will meet you and he will draw you back into his good favor. Let's pray together.